it's always a shame to see people who have a passion for magic or mentalism or illusion or anything like that who don't share it with enough people because magic any breed of it does not exist until you perform it because the very nature of the fact as soon as you know the secret as soon as you know what's really going on uh, it doesn't exist anymore so i think we should all be striving to share more of it with more people because that's the only way it exists here we go one My name is Billy Diamond, and welcome to this episode of the Brand New for Entertainers podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I was not able to get it all edited and ready to air before I headed out on the road. So I'm actually recording this intro halfway across the country from the great city of St. Louis, Missouri. So please forgive me if it lacks a little bit of quality. However, I think you're going to find the content to be really, really good. My guest today is Ken Dine. And he goes by the stage name of Kennedy, and Ken's from the United Kingdom, and he's been an entertainer for over 18 years. In this episode, he speaks about some of the problems that many entertainers face, and it has to do with money. So I think you're going to find this information to be very practical, and I believe if you listen closely, you're going to get some really good advice out of this. So this is my interview with Ken Dine. The Incredible Mind of Kennedy! We're going to jump right in here. Perfect. What I'd like to do, instead of asking you what kind of entertainer you are, I'd kind of like to ask it this way. And that's, I think it's so important that we never forget that aside from our talent, we are in the business of providing entertainment solutions for people, right? So w- what is it? With that being said, how do you, Kennedy, how do, how do you solve people's problems by doing what you love? Every single year. My clients have to put on an event, a sales conference, an awards dinner, something like that. And they have to, one, give people a reason to show up this year, even if they probably won't win. They also have to give them something to do when they get there, apart from receive the reward. And they also have to cover that time between dinner and getting everything else ready, like the awards. And the only thing you can do to do that is to have entertainment at that point. People remember two things about events. They remember that they remember the food and they remember the funny. The food and the funny. Nobody talks about the fancy cocktail you give them on the way in. Nobody really talks about the venue. Nobody talks about anything apart from the soup was cold, the soup was hot, the chicken was dry, the chicken was great, and the entertainment. Now, the only two things they talk about. And that's what I provide. Every year when a client is looking for something new, because they can't do the same thing every year, they can't have the same Rat Pack tribute act every single year after dinner, they need something different. And if they want to do that in a way that's engaging, in a way that actually gets people to be in an active state of mind rather than talking over somebody else just singing a song, uh, then that's what I can do for them. That's fantastic. So with that being said, and being unique and different, so you, you're really expressed there of how you do serve the client. And, you know, that's, as I said, that's so important that we never forget that aside from our talent. But what is your talent? What is it you do? Tell everybody what it is that you do, because it's a little bit different than what uh, some of the guests I usually have on the uh, the podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm what in the States you call a mentalist. Actually, we don't use that word in the UK. Uh, my brand is I'm a psychological mind reader, which means I combine the skills of psychology, reading people, influence, and statistics to make make it look a lot like I can read people's minds and predict 
the choices that they will make. Um, and I combine that combine that with sort of, I dare say the word witty comedy uh, stuff, I guess, being Period. irreverent and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what I do. Now, you mentioned, and this is stuck in my head. So in the UK, you don't call them mentalists. No. Is, is there a reason for that? I don't want to get off on a big bunny trail with it, but what, why is that? Um, yeah, a, me- a mentalist in the UK, the, the, the connotations or the meaning of that word basically is usually something to do with a person who has a mental illness. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, we don't use the word mentalist. Yeah. <laughs> I could definitely see why. So that's amazing um, because as I think about that, that kind of leads into brand positioning too. So if I went over there and I said, hey, I'm Billy Diamond and I'm a mentalist, that brand perception is going to be totally wrong. You've got to know your market. You've got to know what they're going to respond to. Like if I said I was a mind reader, they probably wouldn't, my market wouldn't book me because they're, they're corporations. These are skeptical, you know, very literal organizations who don't want to have anything remotely that even might hint at being spiritual. So the idea of being a psychic entertainer, which I know is another way of branding up a mentalist. Let's remember that branding is very separate from product. That's really, really important. Um, you know, a computer is a computer is a computer, but you have a very different emotional response to an Apple Mac computer versus a PC, versus a Dell, versus a, you know, all these different things. You have a em- different emotional response to that, and you're in control of it. One of the things I often teach my students when I'm, I'm sharing with them business and uh, and and marketing ideas and strategies, we all want to be creating one thing And our ultimate goal, I think, for all of us has to be through our branding, through our marketing, through everything that comes with making sure you can share your art form with more people. One of the things we have to do is create an environment of zero competition. And the way we do that is by remembering that this business thing, this life thing, bigger than that, let's get deep, you know, is a one player game. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Speak to that just a little bit more. That is deep. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for us all. We live in this world now where we compare ourselves to each other. So we look mm-hmm. at how many Instagram followers that person's got and how many Twitter followers that person's got and how many how, how fancy that person's website might be or this person's got a podcast or this person's got Guess what? It doesn't matter. Why does that matter? Why does any of that matter at all? The only goal I have every single day is to be less rubbish than I was yesterday. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be brilliant. I don't want to be the best at something because what's the point in that? That's competitive mindset. I want to move from a competitive mindset to a creative mindset. And when we do that and we see that actually it's just about our own self-development, am I earning more from my entertainment gigs this year than I did last year? Great. Then guess what's happening? I'm making progress. Am I doing more of the kind of gigs that I want to do because of what I've got sorted out for myself than I did last year? Great. If I did, then awesome. I've made progress. If we measure ourselves against our previous selves, then we can see our own progress and we're no longer thinking, oh, I wish I was getting that gig or I wish I had that business. No, like I, I want to teach people and share with people how you can do more of the gigs you want to do not how you can do the same gigs i want to do why would you want to do that right you want to be a leader not a follower right yeah and you want to lead nobody you want to lead you 
It's about self-leadership. It's about just going out there and going, hey, you know what I really like doing? I love doing gigs that are in the basements of churches and I like doing them for families and that's all I want to do. Guess what? Go go do that thing. Because meanwhile, somebody else is going out there doing conferences or somebody else is out there doing library shows. It, It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just do you really, really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Years ago, I used to do the Christian market and most of it was youth related. And as I would go out and do conferences or churches, I would always have magicians come up to me. Wow. How how can I do this? Yeah. To me, that's not the question, (laughs) really. You have to take a step back and assess that. And and with that being said, uh, speak to us a little bit more about what it is that you do to help. I mean, I know you help other businesses and entrepreneurs, uh, so it's much broader than entertainment. But talk to us a little bit about that. How is it that you – how would you take – if I were to ask you, Kennedy, um, you know, listen, I'm – this is what I think my market is, but I'm not sure. I'm not even sure how to brand it or market it. Where, where do you start with somebody in that process? Yeah, I mean, what we got to remember is that the branding part of it is it touches everything. And that's what's so interesting about this show and why you've been able to have su- such success with it and why the listeners love it is because branding touches everything. So I remember my first ever gig inquiry came in. And they said, how much will it be? And I'm like, um, I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, I was busy thinking about which tricks I'm going to do, you know. So I was, I was thinking, I don't know how to price this. So I I was like, oh, cool. I'll put a proposal together for you and uh, and, and come back to you. All right. So then I'm thinking, right, how much, is other, how much do other people charge? Whoa, that was a mistake. Why did I do that? Why did I immediately try and look at what my other people were charging? That's the wrong thing to do. Because right. guess who does not dictate your price? your competition or the other people in your parallel. What does dictate the price is your customers, right? Mm-hmm. So I did the thing that everybody else does, which is I call up and did a really deep, deep voice calling people around me saying, hello, I would really like to book a party and it will be this long on this date. How much will it be? And of course they knew it wasn't really some old man or whatever, but you know, I pretended it was and I got some prices in and and, and the the local magician would be charging about 150 pounds to to do a stand-up show at an event. So just a note, for those who are listening in the US, that's about $211 or Canada, eh? That's 257 Canadian dollars. So I thought, okay, with that information, I can choose. I'm new. This is going to be my my first ever paid gig. So I could. I've got three choices. I can choose to be like, well, I'm new, so I'm going to be cheaper to get some experience. I mm-hmm. can choose to be the same price at, because they don't know it's my first gig, so right. it can be the same price. Or I can choose to be more expensive which is terrifying. And I chose the third option. I chose to be more expensive. And the reason I did that was not because I thought I was any good, because I was fairly aware that I wasn't. Um, it wasn't to do with any anything like that. It was to do with the fact that I decided I was, if I was 10 pounds or $10 or 20 pounds or 30 pounds more expensive than the local magician, then I was going to just be an expensive magician. Oh, have you tried to hire that magician? Oh, yeah, but he's expensive. Don't want to be playing in that game. It's a one-player game, right? So Mm -hmm. I went considerably more expensive 
I think my first gig was 350 or 450 pounds. So consider like more than like du- more than double the price of a local magician at the time. And the reason for that is I wanted to make sure that brand positioning wise, my pricing removed me from the category. Mm-hmm. So I took myself out of the category of magician, put myself into this space, which I occupied on my own, which was this guy. He does this weird stuff with his brain where he can memorize stuff and influence people and read their minds. And this is how much he is. He's not an expensive magician because he's just in this completely different category. And out of that fell everything else. So out of that fell, I want to have an image. So I came up with this idea of this white spiky hair, which was inspired by Billy Idol initially. Um, uh, But I mean, his was blonde. I started off with blonde and then it sort of evolved into white and that's cool. And so that became that. Then I wanted a brand name, which was like a one name brand name. So I came up with the Kennedy thing and then the pricing thing. And you put all these things together and you end up with something which is completely incomparable. So I'm not saying magician on my website. I say psychological mind reader. I've got one name. I've got a very unique image and I've got a very unique pricing position. And then I'm very specific about the things that I perform at and that I'm really good at because the only reason that I do the types of gigs that I do is because I'm not very good at the other ones. So I just decided to only do the ones I'm good at because that that means I get to grow my reputation as being really good. I'm only really good because I only perform at gigs that I'm really good at. So I'm actually cheating the system. But um, but that's a really, you know, a bad gig is not good for anybody. So just do more of the ones that you're really good at. And that would be cool. So I realized I just thrown a load of whole, whole stuff at you. But that's kind of how I got my first gig. That's how I priced the whole thing and how the branding touched every sort of piece of the business, I guess. I think with the, the positioning of the pricing, I can relate to that. I can remember my first professional agent in the market that I was in. I don't know why I said professional agent. <laughs> They're all professionals, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that could be debatable. Maybe not. But the agent that I had, he said, you know, I'd love to book you, but it just doesn't make any sense financially for me to do it. But if you can bring your performance and your speaking engagement up to this point, I will book you. And I guess I'm saying all that to say is not look how much money I could make doing this as much as it was. I think you'll be able to attest to this, that it also, you know, obviously you had to live up to that amount, right? So, you know, because your your buying audience is perceiving it like this is going to be good because we paid a lot for it. And I guess that's where I'm heading with that is when I changed my price structure and I tripled it, plus had all my expenses paid for me, air travel, hotel, everything – that made such a difference even in the quality of people that I was working with. And I don't mean necessarily the quality. I, maybe, maybe that's a wrong way to say it. But it changed their perception, and therefore they were ready to roll out the red carpet because they knew they were going to get a quality event as opposed to just some guy coming in for $300, $500. Right. Right. And it's a different experience, isn't it? I mean, I don't, and I don't, I don't really mean in terms of like, I'm not really into like the fuss of like, oh, what kind of room do you want? And do you want to fly? I don't care about that kind of stuff in life. It's just not really one of the things that really appeals to me. Like I've got some friends who are like, hey, I'll only do this gig if I'm going business class or I'm going first or whatever. I'm like, that stuff like is fine, but it's not really one of my drivers. The things that I really like about having higher rates, obviously since 
you know, 18, 19 years ago. Now my price has obviously increased significantly since then with experience, understanding what the market that I'm now in pays. But what I do like about the higher rates is the people in the audience are used to seeing other entertainers of that rate. So they know how to respond to people of that rate. And therefore it's weird. I remember I got, I've been doing the sort of these sort of, I would say mid mid range after dinner and, and, and awards dinner events for, you know, 10 or more years. And then a friend of mine asked me a favor and said, Hey, we're having like a sports dinner. And we saw you at this corporate event. You'll be great for it. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, they'll see my price and like run away. So I did that usual thing of going, here's my price. No problem. Here you go. And that, and they did not run away. So I went in, this was only like five years ago, went in, did the show because the people in the room were not used to an act which was of that fee level, they just sort of pulled some of the strings and done some of the stuff to, to get my fee covered. I think they got a sponsor in or something like that because they really wanted me or whatever, which was very nice. But actually, that was one of the worst shows of my life because the audience were talking through the show because they didn't have a professional MC because they cut the cost on the MC. So he didn't do his job of controlling the audience and training them and doing the whole the MC's job, basically. So it was horrendous. It was like the worst gig ever mm-hmm. because they weren't used to that. Whereas normally I get introduced by a professional MC, I walk on and I know from the start, it's going to be pretty good. Like I know whatever's going to happen, I'm going to be able to control because it's within the parameters of the rule book, the unwritten rule book of the game I'm, I'm used to playing. I got thrown the lions in this, in this other <laughs> gig right. because I was playing a game I didn't understand. And that kind of goes back to the whole thing, too, of, you know, knowing knowing your market, right? Knowing your market, not just your show, but your, who your market is and who you do want to perform for and who you don't. I can remember when I used to do big conference centers uh, where it might be, you know, 12, 15,000 students. Wow. I hated those. It didn't take yeah. me long to realize the money was excellent, but it wasn't me. Yeah. And I had to pull out of that and say, this isn't about the money. It's about comfort level. So it sounds like you've worked all those details out for yourself over the years and uh, <laughs> uh, continue to do so, I'm sure. We talked a little bit about pricing. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in regards to that? I know that initially when we made contact, you even mentioned in there as far as we could talk about how guys get paid. Right. So, so what does that mean when we say that? How do you get paid? One of the most terrifying things for me is how many entertainers I meet at uh, at conventions and stuff like that, if I'm lecturing or whatever. uh, When I meet other entertainers, they tell me how they get paid. And, like, it makes my toes curl. Like, I get, like, a tight chest because a lot of entertainers are, like, taking all the risk of of these events. Mm -hmm. And so I think it must be at least 15 years now. I get paid 100% of my fee up front. Is that and, right? Wow. Wow. And yeah, and that's the response that happens. And I know that everybody listening right now going, that wouldn't work for me. I'm putting my elephant in ears on because I want to hear this is this is good. Right, right. <laughs> and and you know what's incredible is the only time that's ever been a problem for a client is when they've later been a problem in paying me. Hmm. And and you know what? The, I mean, there are exceptions. So if I do, if I'm doing cruise ships through an agent or cruise ships direct or whatever, they won't pay you in advance. That's fine. An event organizer won't pay you in advance. And an agent won't pay in advance. That's fine. Okay, that's cool. They're, they're big boys and girls. They, they can take care of that. But I mostly work direct, okay? Mm-hmm. 
with clients. And I get paid 100%. And people say, why do you do this? And then how do you do this? So the why is we cannot be in two places at once. So I don't want to have a client like flaking out on me because the conference got cancelled because the chief executive isn't able to make it this year. I have this chemical company from the UK book The Shard in London, which is, I think, the most expensive venue in London, I think. Um, they booked it for an event, their conference on December the 1st, the first time I ever did it. And three days beforehand, they cancelled. But I'd already been paid like eight months before. And I was like, no problem. And then I thought, well, that's that. And that's just, that's a shame. But, but I obviously can't book another book another event that night. Right. And then the next year, they book me again for it. And they pay in advance. And then it comes to like six days before the event. And they cancel again because the chief executive's not out. I've been paid three times for that event. And I've never done the event. Wow. Now, I don't want to do that because I love doing my show. Like, I love that. I love doing the show more than I love the money from it because I get passion and I really, I just love performing. It's not sure. who, It's not what I do. It's who I am. Yeah. But the thing is that, imagine if I didn't get paid in advance. Right. I would have lost three evenings work. Sure. Everyone's losing from that situation and they feel bad. So they're less likely to hire you back anyway. So no one's winning. Also, if you work in the corporate market and you're getting paid a deposit or, you know, if you get paid by any business, you get paid a deposit and then balance. Guess what you just did? You doubled their admin. You sent them an invoice for the deposit. Great. And now what they really need is a second invoice to pay the balance. Well, you just doubled their admin, which means you doubled the chance of also getting lost and you having to chase. There's no chasing for me. And I'll talk about my system for getting paid on time as well in a second if we have time for that. Mm -hmm. But I get paid 100% in advance because that means I'm using their, the, the biggest problem entertainers have is not getting booked. I really believe, I mean, we all think it is. We all absolutely feel like we know it is. I don't think it is. I think our biggest problem as entertainers is cash flow. It's having the cash to do the things you want to do. So if you focus on your cash flow, that means you get to think about how do I make sure I'm the person who's cash flow positive at all times. And the way you do that is, they, they book me, they pay me, and I use their money to book my flights, to book the, to pay for the expenses, to buy my meal and at the, at the, you know, at the, at the departure lounge in the, in the airport. Sure. It's been sure. such a long time since I was in an airport. I couldn't remember the word for airport, but, <laughs> but that's, I, I want to spend their money for those expenses because yeah. I don't want to cash flow a multi-billion dollar business. I never thought of that because I had a, the luxury I had with the market I was in that was always taken care of. Right. So that totally makes sense in other market areas where, yeah, that is a cash flow problem because you're floating that client until you get paid. I have students who are family entertainers, who work in restaurants, who literally any kind of entertainer you've ever heard of, when I told them to get paid in advance, They've done it and they have no problems getting paid in advance. But the question comes up like, how do I do it? And the problem I think most people think they're going to have is the conversation is going to go like this. So great. You like the price. That's really good. So it's going to be $5,000 for me to come and do it. That's great. Um, that includes this. That includes that. There's going to be, you know, 650 people in the room. That's great. Oh, by the way, um, hope it's okay, but I get paid in advance. That's not a good way to have a conversation. Of course, people are going to say no if you have the conversation that way. Obviously, I would say no to that conversation. That's a terrible right. conversation. 
All that happens is this. Great, awesome. It's $5,000. It's going to be there. I'm going to be there. 600 people in the room. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. So here's how we do it. I'm going to send you a contract. I'm going to send you the invoice. I'm going to send you a confirmation. You'll get that in the next 10 minutes and you'll have all the paperwork. You'll have everything in front of you that you need. I'm really excited for the event. See you there. Hang up the phone in my CRM, put the date, hit the button. It sends those three documents, the cover document. It sends them my contract. I call it a performance agreement because that sounds nicer than contract. It's a contract. And it sends them the invoice. That's it. I make a non-event of it. Because let's think, when you order something from Amazon, do you order it and then when it arrives, you pay for it? No. Right. People pay in advance of getting anything these days. With that being said... What's your rate like of people saying, hey, I got this invoice, but uh, we have an issue here. Um, can we just give you a deposit? How, how often do you hear that as opposed to not hearing that? I've never had that. The only times I've had people say, oh, I didn't expect the invoice, um, were people who um, who then later I had to chase for payment. So when I broke the rule, they're the problem clients. Yeah, that's smart. Because it shows you they have a cash flow problem. That's so smart. Oh my gosh, that's that's brilliant. Right. But here's the other cool thing to make sure you get paid on time. So the invoice goes out and it has 30 days to pay my clients because the market I'm in are always booking more than 30 days out, which means I'm always paid before the gig. Right. So, um, so it's got 30 days to pay. So it's not like you're saying, Hey, pay me right now. It's saying, here's the invoice. It's due in 30 days. So it's not as aggressive as that. So it takes, it takes it off. But here's another really cool little trick to put on that to get paid on time. I think you'll like this. And this is all automated. So I use Xero, the uh, the software for, for invoicing and accounts and stuff. You can use QuickBooks or whatever. And they have all these email reminders built in. So what I do on the bottom of my invoices is I say, um, this, this is a 30-day invoice due in 30 days. Um, and then I basically write on, and I'll explain why I do this. It sounds really harsh, but actually I'll, I'll tell you why it's not in a second. But I say there is a 5% penalty for late payment. Mm-hmm. So that's actually standard in most business practice. In the UK, actually, it's 10% is the legal amount you can do after 30 days. But in most businesses, that is standard. Now, us entertainers being entertainers first, wanting to please people, we're terrified of doing that. But let's remember, these people who are receiving this are usually business people. If it's a library, it's a business. If it's a corporation, it's a business. If it's a school, they're a business, right? If it's a private individual, chances are they've got a job which means they're used to working in a business and they buy off other businesses, right? Everything works that way. The only reason I have that 5% late payment fee is I have never enforced it. Never, ever, ever. And I've been paid late on the 30 days before. The reason to put that there is to give me this ability. And that is two days before the invoice is due, I have an automated email that goes out that says, hey, Billy, Really looking forward to your event. Just a heads up, your invoice for the event payment is due in two days' time. I've attached it again for your convenience. It would be great if you pay it on time. Um, No, sorry, here it is again, and that's it. That's great. So I give them a reminder two days before. Then on the day after it was due, so it's now late if it hasn't been reconciled in my bank account, the day it becomes overdue, the day after it was due, an automatic email goes out and says, Hey, Billy, Really looking forward to your event. I know you're super busy. Uh, your invoice is actually due yesterday. It does say on the bottom of it that there's a 5% late payment fee due. Don't worry. If you can sort it out for me in the next 24 hours, I'll make sure that will take care of that. That's fantastic. 
it means that I now get to become kind rather than chasing them and being mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Very fantastic stuff there. And just for listeners too, your shows, you are making lots of money. But this also converts to the guy that might be out there doing birthday party shows. 100%. In fact, more so because those events are more fragile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because if little Johnny is sick that day, like, they might call you up and go, I'm really sorry, he's really sick. What's great is the parents are used to buying things off Amazon. Like my students who, who use my processes and who are members of my programs and stuff – they're not all duplicating my business. They're not, the majority are not corporate entertainers. They're mostly wedding entertainers or they are family entertainers or birthday party entertainers. And absolutely, the mum books, heck, if you can take payment over the phone, do it. Like have them take that off the plate. And the really big reason, I was doing a talk about this once and it got a, a huge laugh. And I said, how many people at the end of their gig like you perform at this lovely event. It's lovely. It's great. It's a 21st birthday party, whatever. You do the last table, your time's up, and then you sidle over to the person organizing it and go, because you haven't been paid yet. You know, you're thinking, right, I need to go get paid. You walk over to them and you go, hi, uh, well, uh, that's me done. Yeah. Right. Uh, how do you say... I've done lots of magic. You feel amazing. Now pay me. Like it's awkward as all heck, right? So we don't want to do that. We want to remove the business from the show guy. We want to remove the business from the show guy. On the day of the show, you don't want to be thinking, they haven't turned up to my room and paid me yet. They haven't paid me when I'm on arrival. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You're removing the stress of that situation because you were paid for it ages ago. Now all they can do is love what you do because the transactional element is so long ago. And guess what? You'll see an increase in tips too. That's fantastic stuff, man. Gosh, we got to wrap the podcast up. We're <laughs> going to have to have a part two of this, I think, at some point. <laughs> and if you'd be so kind, maybe you will come back at a later time and we can talk more. But in the meantime, can, can you tell us um, a little bit about how you could help the people that actually listen to this podcast. I know you have some great resources and you just touched on just such a wonderful thing right there, just on pricing and how to get paid. A little bit different than branding and marketing, but uh, uh, so important because we're in business to be in business, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we, we do what we love, but we are in business to be in business and we have to look at it that way. We do. And remember that pricing is is part of the branding strategy. Like they are, they are part of the same thing. Your price relates to your brand a hundred percent. And if you're not getting paid, you can't share what you do with more people. Like the minute you stop getting paid, the minute you, that's the minute you can't afford to keep sharing your art with somebody. So you have to get paid. And if you can get paid handsomely, get paid well, that gives you more confidence and more savings for when there are tough times. So you can bounce back and continue to share your art. Like that's what this is about. Well, tell us, how do people find you? Oh yeah. Um, so I've put together a list of 10 books. I don't think any of them are like magic related books, mm -hmm. but 10 books that will help you to get more clarity and put more put better processes in place and really maybe enjoy the business part of being an entertainer to give you like, the actions, the marketing, the mindset of being more successful as an entertainer. Mm -hmm. These books really help me. If you want them, it's totally free. I'm going to tell you now, it is in a really ugly Google Doc. If you want something pretty, 
don't download this. It's the <laughs> ugliest Google Doc you've ever seen. But it's basically a link. It's a list of 10 links to books that I think will really help you. If that would be useful to you and you want to study these books, just go to mentalunderground.com slash books and you'll be able to access it. So that's mentalunderground.com slash books. You'll be able to find out from being on my mailing list there uh, about my various memberships and programs, other ways I might be able to help you. But that's definitely a good starting point. That's something I'll put in the show notes as well. Man, I wish we had so much more time to talk. I'd love to have you back at a later time. You're a wealth of information. And I know that I learned some things even myself through this podcast. And I think that's a great thing too, is to, we're, we're always learning, aren't we? Always. So uh, I thank you so much for your time. Anything else that you'd maybe want to, to leave listeners with before we really wrap it up here? No, I just think we have to remember that our brand is all about every single touch point somebody has with us and that represents us. So that's the invoice they get. Mm-hmm. That's That sounds technical, like just a, a formality, but brand the invoice, make it a good experience. Yeah. Every single thing they touch with our brand is branding and it, it permeates into all of it. Yeah. And the more of those touch points you can make really stand out and maybe it'll go, huh, Wow, that's cool. Yeah. The more you're going to stick in their head, the more they're going to refer you, the more they're going to be immersed and become your biggest fans. Absolutely. Well, sir, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll talk here real soon. Thanks, Billy.